Okay, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. <coughs> Christian is going to read Deuteronomy 8, 3. Uh, read Eli, 1 Peter 2, 2. Dwayne, 1 Kings 3, 9. Jake, 1 Peter 2, 2, the second time. Uh, Casey, Psalm 119, 105, David, uh, read for me, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, uh, where are we at, uh, Ken, 1 Samuel 3, 1, Matt, 1 Samuel 3, 9, um, Tony, 2 Timothy 2, 15, that'll be enough for now. We're going to start off, here's the first day of 2017, and uh, we're going to deal with a uh, fun foundational issue, not only for the year, but for being a man of God. Very simple, and uh, has to do with how to read the Bible, and it's going to be a very, very basic lesson. The, uh, the Bible in Hebrews says that it is living, the Bible is not like just another book. It is not meant to uh, be read simply for X number of pages or chapters or simply to get through it like another book. But the Bible says it is living and uh, gives the language that it opens on the inside. And so uh, the Word of God speaks. So how you read the Bible is actually... An important uh, issue. So let's read Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, one simple verse. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Okay, lives. Your your life is dependent on uh, the word of God. Okay. First simple thought, let's talk about reading the Bible. You, uh, depending on which, which stage of your salvation, you may have different aims in, in uh, reading the Bible. If, you're, if you've just gotten saved, uh, it is a matter of getting to know God and uh, feeding your soul and, and the basic stages of letting God speak to you. First Peter 2.2, 2, the first time. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Okay, so he gives a uh, a picture out of life that uh, uh, infants they they begin to feed on their growth is dependent uh, on their their uh, feeding. So that of course is if you're just saved. So we're talking now another stage if you are a disciple or someday if you become a pastor. You need the uh, all the things that uh, we just said. You need to know God. You need to feed your soul, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Plus, added to that, you have to gain revelation to help other people. In other words, you have to let the Word of God speak to you not only personally but for uh, others. First Kings three nine. Give therefore thy servant understanding heart. To judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this by so great a people? Okay, so Solomon, in his great prayer here, 
I need to know for other people. If I know, then they're going to know. And that is, uh, that's important. One of my, uh, probably the uh, most repeated prayer that I pray is, is for wisdom. God, to give me wisdom. And one of the things I need, uh, I need desperately is I need the Word of God to speak to me. Because if God can speak to me, He'll speak to you. And uh, so that's a, an important issue. So we read the Bible for a number of different uh, reasons. We read the Bible as men of God now for growth. And uh, this is spiritual maturity. Now let's look at the same scripture the second time, First Peter 2.2. 2. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Okay, so this one we said, of course, applies to new converts. Every new convert should know this scripture and this is helpful. However... He's actually not writing to new converts. So he's writing to people who have been saved. He simply is using an application and he says all growth comes from the Word of God, like a baby. So he's not saying this is only true if you're a baby. This is actually true in every stage of life that growth comes from, uh, from the Word of God. And this is a, a, an important issue that you that you have uh, that there be something growing. You need to know the Bible uh, better. I, I uh, sometimes will examine in my, uh, in my preaching or examine, examine in my Bible reading. I've been looking for uh, chapters and passages that I've never preached on before or that I've never studied before simply because I need to grow. That's an important issue that growth comes from the Word of God. Direction is the second issue. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay, so direction. You've uh, probably heard me mention this in direction. This is a picture. They didn't have nice, uh, you know, 7 million lumen flashlights, tactical flashlights in those days. They had little torches, little lamps. Basically, it would shine a little bit. They'd put it down near their feet. This is a picture of walking on a mountain path. And it would give direction. So, there is something important. There is so much in life that you need to hear from God. And hearing from God is not a matter of that God uh, you know, tells us you're going to turn right at 10.13 a.m. at the Blue House and you know, specific directions. But there is something profound about reading the Bible that the Bible says that the Word of God is linked to direction. Someone who has the Word of God inside of them, not only can you find direction, what should I do in my finances, my marriage, the answers in the Word of God, but the Word of God is a supernatural book. If you have the Word of God inside of you, you are the most likely person to be guided you wind up, God gives direction because there's something of the Word of God inside of you. The third thing is, is for love. If you want to be a man of God, this is an absolutely indispensable. If you approach the Word of God as a have-to, if you're, there, are, there are pastors that they're in the ministry and they're still uh, the Word of God, is, I have to read the Bible. You're not going to succeed. The best... Uh, pastors, you, you tell me any preacher that you admire in the fellowship. I know these men. They're my friends and I can tell you they love the Word of God. They have a passion for it. They, they enjoy reading the Bible. They enjoy studying the Bible. So, 
Very simply, if you don't have that, that's something you need to ask for. First Peter 2, uh, 1-3. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Okay, now here's the same verse, First Peter 2, 2. Now we're bringing out one third aspect. Not only is it for a new convert growth, not only is it for every stage of growth. In this uh, 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 translation, or it, it says desire, I think other translations say crave. Right? So this is, uh, uh, if, a, if a baby doesn't get fed, they let you know about it. Right? They wake you up at ungodly hours. A craving. So he's now writing and... And here's the third aspect. There should be a craving for the Word of God. Very simple. If you don't have that, you should ask for it. Wouldn't that be a prayer that God would love to answer? You want to pray for world peace? Great. But practical. You want to pray for a pay raise? Fantastic. But something that would practically help you in life is if you love the Word of God. Okay. That's reading the Bible. Let's talk secondly about reading for the man of God. It is, uh, it's a dangerous thing uh, for for pastors to read only to get a, a sermon. And uh, pastors can go uh, sermon hunting. I'm going to read the Bible because I have to preach uh, Wednesday and they're, they're flipping the pages looking for something to, to preach. There is an, an amount uh, I have taught and regularly teach on how to, how to work on sermons. You could theoretically just choose a passage and say, I will preach on that. I've taught you how to do that, but <clears throat> the important issue is laboring in the Word of God to get revelation. 1 Samuel 3.1 Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the Word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. There was no widespread revelation. That's a great Bible word. You should study that in your own time. Revelation comes, of course, from reveal, and it has the idea of uncovering or, or uh, opening up. In the Old Testament, revelation was, uh, uh, that word has the idea of communi- God communicating to you that you communicate uh, uh, to others. And uh, so this is for a man of God what you want is, of course, a sermon should be true, right? I, I hope that you're, you would never be a man of God to just preach something that's total smack like that. That's not even true. So let's assume that it's true, but revelation is more than something that is true. It is a word from God. So that's different. That's not just simply, you know, uh, giving various truths. There is something powerful. If you've ever... Uh, experience in a, in a sermon that is preached and the pastor has not asked you about this, he has no idea what's going on. Have you ever heard a sermon and you said, that is just for me? That's because that sermon was revelation. It wasn't just simply information. Is that God communicated. There are times, and I'm fascinated, there are times a word will pop into my head. It's like, I should study that. I'll develop a sermon and someone will come and say, that was just for me exactly uh, uh, what, uh, uh, what, what God spoke to me. So, in the New Testament, the word is a little bit different and it has the idea of being uncovered. 
something that is revealed. So, here's another aspect of revelation is revelation uncovers. Of course, that can uncover sin, and uh, that would be one part, but but also vision. It's in a it's it can be in a sermon that God speaks to a person about a vision for their life or an opportunity or need or something. So, that is revelation. So, being very practical, the the point that I'm making is revelation comes from the word of God. Revelation does not come from just speaking for X number of minutes. It does not come from simply saying stuff that is true. The Word of God. So, the Bible is what is going to speak to you and is ultimately going to speak to other other people. Third thought here, and this is a very practical one. This is practical reading for Revelation. You should read with intent. Reading the Bible is not merely... You should have, uh, I hope, some form of uh, a reading record. If that is written uh, down, we uh, have them here where you can tick boxes, uh, programs, you can buy programs, and you know some of your Bibles will even have that in, in some way. You, know, you should know where you last read so you know what to read next. That is true. But reading the Bible is more than just X number of chapters. It is more than just saying, I finished uh, uh, the Bible. If the Word of God is God speaking, the Bible is a message from God. It has an overall message. It has individual messages for you, for other people. That means you should read with the intent, not simply I need to tick some boxes, I intend for God to speak to me. That is a very important issue as a disciple. uh, That we should read literally with an ear, what is God going to say? Practically, when you read the Bible, you should pray. God, what do you want to say to me today? God, speak to me today and be very deliberate. So, this is a relationship. That is the whole idea of serving God as we are in relationship is that we, we talk to God in prayer and we should expect God to talk to us in one of the ways He does. That may be in prayer, but one of the ways He does that is through uh, the Word of God. So, you have to be willing to let God get your attention. 1 Samuel 3.9 Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, to your servant ears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Okay, here's just one example. Bible principle. Think about this one. Uh, all God said was His name. Alright, He doesn't say anything else. And that's what He's, he's, he's inexperienced, so He comes to Samuel, What? I didn't call you. You're waking me up. And so he says, wait a minute, this, this may be God. If, if, if you hear from God again, say, speak. And then God tells him more. That's true of Moses, isn't it? Moses sees the burning bush. God's not saying anything. But then he responds. God now begins to say 
uh, you know, take off your shoes, and when he does that, then he begins to reveal his will. So, this is an important principle in reading the Bible, is as you read, you should expect, you should ask, you should intend for God to speak to you, but you have to allow. There needs to be something in you that allows God uh, uh, to, to speak. And so that is important, that you're reading, not simply, okay, chapter 13, done. Is that God may speak in... In uh, uh, he may whisper something to you. As I, in, in my reading, it's like a word will stick out to me. Um, uh, in in uh, I'm going to preach. I think on on Wednesday night, I've uh, preached for years about the uh, the cursing of the fig tree and the lessons of faith. And uh, uh, you know, I've been. I've been saved for lots and lots of years, been pastoring for 30 years, be 31 years here shortly. And in my Bible reading, it's like, wait, Jesus curses the fig tree. And it occurred to me for the first time, he said, I've always emphasized in the faith, you'll be able to say this and move mountains. But he says, you'll be able to do this as well, which is curse the fig tree. I was like, what? I never noticed that before. And I wrote that down. I knew, what the heck is that? How would we curse the fig tree? I don't get it. So that, so what happens is that God may speak something. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's something you don't understand. If you're simply racing through, tick, 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 done, God's not going to speak to you. There needs to be a responsiveness. The question is, are you listening? So you have to be willing to dig. This is how you gain revelation. This takes labor. Second Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, be diligent. The King James says study, when the word means diligent, but he, it, he uses the picture of a workman. So, this tells you then, revelation doesn't, revelation doesn't come to me as, as pearl. The, Greg, I have some, yes, Lord. What, what do you want to say for Wednesday? Is often, it's a word, it's an impression, it's a phrase, it's something that catches my attention. But I have to dig. And it's only in the labor that you find out what God is saying. Final thought here is read with tools in hand. You must always have a way to record or to, to keep a record of what God says. You can do that in uh, in uh, many many ways. If you get a thought, an idea, if there's a question, a puzzling scripture, a word you don't understand, if you get a sermon, if God should be so kind and give you a whole sermon, you must write it down. You can you can write that down in in paper. Uh, I have I have folders in in uh, I have one I've I've called out some of it but I have a folder that looks just like this in my you see I carry that bag uh, everywhere in in addition to carrying breath mints and candy bars um, <laughs> is one of the things I have in there is I have I have a notebook <clears throat> I have a, a notepad in there and I write down questions, thoughts, ideas, words, phrases, 
anything that occurs to me, uh, according to the word of uh, word of God, I I do a lot of that digitally now. Is I, I will do that electronically. I always have. That's why I carry that stupid bag with me everywhere, because in there I always have multiple ways to record thoughts. And if you don't do that, it, there's there's uh, Pastor Mitchell often tells about getting ideas at inopportune times, like when you're about to go to sleep. Great thought. I'll, I'm going to look at that tomorrow, but you don't write it down. And you wake up in the morning, I had a great, what was it? And that's depressing. So the answer is you have to write it down later on. Because often when the thought comes to you, you don't have the time. So the idea is you come back later on. Okay? So I'm going to open for questions in just a minute. I have, uh, in response to your question, I have given you uh, verbally, I, I wrote it down, just had Isaac print it out for you. Uh, take a look at this. This is how I read the Bible. <clears throat> and so, in reading the Bible, I do not read the Bible simply from Genesis to Revelation. If you understand how the Bible is... is uh, the Bible is, uh, is in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5... The Bible is broken up in six main sections. Okay, Genesis, the first five books of the Bible after Genesis deals primarily with law. So after Genesis, if you're reading just Genesis to Revelation, you're going to be stuck in the law for a long time. Some of those are long books. You're going to be stuck in passages that tell you how to cut up pigeons for a long time. You're going to be stuck in begats for a long time if that's all you you read. Starting at Joshua 1 is history. Joshua through 2 Chronicles uh, gives you the history of the uh, nation of Israel. And of course, these are not perfect. As I said, Genesis gives history. Exodus has a little bit of history. But primarily from Joshua to 2 Chronicles is history. It's a section. Starting in Psalms is wisdom books. Psalms, Proverbs, uh, uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon are the wisdom books. They teach you about wisdom. And then uh, Malachi, I'm going backwards, but I think it's uh, starting at Isaiah, is the prophets. You have the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and you have the minor prophets with strange names. And uh, ending at Malachi, you have a whole section of prophets. You have, starting at Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four books. They are the Gospels. They are the record of Jesus Christ, both His life, uh, His birth, His life, uh, His words and His actions, death and resurrection. All four record various aspects of that. And then you have, uh, after the book of Acts, starting at Romans, you have the epistles. And I started here, Revelation. So, with that in mind, in Bible reading, I want to read calling, I, the word is called comprehensive. I want to read a broad path. I don't want to be stuck for weeks in begats or in pigeons. I want to get a broad perspective. So what I do is, this is exactly, minus the words, but I, I have a, uh, a document on my iPad 
that, uh, that is, it, it says, Bible reading plan, it has the date that I start it, and what I do is I read a chapter or two from various sections. It depends on how much time. I'm not hung up on. I'm not legalistic about this, that you have to read one from every one. Because the moment you start saying, I will read X number of chapters, then you'll get depressed and I'm behind. And now comes I have to make up 117 chapters to, to get even. So the, again, the point is not simply to get through it. It's to feed your soul. So, but this is what I would do. So if I start from Genesis 1 and read forward, there's 50 chapters in Genesis, I may read one or two chapters in Genesis. If I start at Revelations 1, once I'm done with Revelations, then I move backwards, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, uh, etc., backwards through the epistles, starting at the beginning of each epistle, of course, uh, you know, however many... Uh, chapters there are at Matthew I start going forward that's the Gospels and that I'll wind up actually in the book of Acts uh, with the number of chapters Psalms I start Joshua and so I can read comprehensively so I'm getting a broad cross section if I were to uh, uh, follow this and read one or two chapters I know that at the end, I will always wind up in the New Testament. The last thing I will read when I'm reading Revelations this way, Matthew this way, I wind up finally in the book of Acts. Uh, that's the number of chapters. That's how it winds up. If I start at Genesis 1 and Malachi 1, by the time I get through, I always will wind up in the prophets. I can't remember which one is the last one, like Ezekiel or somebody um, is, the, is where I wind up. Uh, uh, finally to finish off the year or to finish off I, I actually read if I do that depending on how much I'm reading a day I, I get through the Bible uh, at least once and, and sometimes twice in a year okay so some of you have asked that and I've said it verbally I wanted to just write it out so you understand that is how I read the Bible there is no correct way there are guys if you follow a Bible reading program if you read chronologically you read I, I have no argument. But my point is you should read with the intent of God speaking to you. Okay, let's open for questions. Something you want to ask. Would you have the same advice for a new, new believer? <laughs> yeah, in a, in a new believer, all I would say is uh, the best place to uh, start off is in the Gospels. Uh, the book of Mark is an excellent book for a new convert to start. It is the, uh, the shortest of the Gospels, and it's uh, action-packed and doesn't get lost. I would not start as a new convert in the book of Revelation <laughs> and deep and worried about the scorpions and the bowls and judgments. So, somewhere. So the bottom line is when you're beginning, start somewhere. But uh, the Bible, the, the point is the Bible is actually 66 different books all compiled into one, and they all have a unifying theme. So you can start in any book of the Bible. It's, it, the Bible is not necessarily chronological. It's not like a novel that if you start, hey, I'm not going to know who did it. You, it. Wherever you start, it will, you will get something out of it. But I often just recommend the Gospels because what you need to know, you need to know about Jesus. And the Gospels are the best way to, to uh, do that. Okay? So often the, the New Testament is a, is a good place to concentrate for new believers.
somebody else. Yep. That word uh, we hear rhema once in a while, is that uh, only con concerning the Bible where something leaps out at you or is that anything in life where you get like a, a revelation? <coughs> anything in life. Well, uh, if you, I suppose if you whack a hornet's nest and it stings you, you've got a rhema, you shouldn't do that. But no, rhema has to do with the Word of God only. No, it's it's God speaking a word for the moment, as opposed to the whole truth of God. Is there ever a time you'll you'll not try to sermonize and just turn your turn your sermon locator off and just yeah. read for content? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and and so I'm not I'm not looking for a sermon when I read the Bible. So if you're if you're looking for a sermon, that's that's actually not healthy for you. You have to be fed before you can feed other people. So I, I I need to find a sermon. So I'm I'm now reading, flicking through. What can I preach? What can I preach? That's not that's not healthy. There needs to be a foundational relationship with God that I'm reading anyway. And that that's the whole point of what I just said. If you are reading the Bible to feed your own soul, if you're reading with intent, and if you're reading and recording as God speaks, you'll have stuff to preach. You won't run out of things to preach. So you should not. It's a dangerous thing for a pastor, and and that's that's the the danger is you you are only feeding other people. You're not feeding your own soul. So and I've often told you is is I'm I'm looking forward to this fast. Is is you have demands in life. Uh, I will have intensive demands of pressure, crises, uh, emotional draining. Um, uh, sometimes just things that are at work in you to where you are you feel dry so sometimes I will deliberately I'm just simply going to read the Bible I'm not trying to get a sermon I'm not trying to do any all I want to do is feed my soul so yeah that's that's how you have to approach the Bible mostly did you was your hand up oh scratched okay okay so when you're preaching uh, I know you don't want to preach uh, reactionary. Is that how you avoid that? Is you just preach what God's revealed to you instead of just saying, okay, this problem's in the church. I'm going to preach on this. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So if, I, <coughs> if I'm if i reading and feeding my soul, God speaks and meets needs. Because He's my, I, I operate on the principles that God is smarter than I am. He's much smarter than I am. So if I... If I let him speak to me, he's going to speak to issues. So reactionary preaching is stuff that ticks me off. Right? People are gossiping. People are fighting. People are lusting. People are fill in the blank. You know, and so you preach a sermon on whatever ticked you off that day. And that's, that's, that's poor preaching because you will tend to, uh, I can guarantee you that people tend to do the same things over and over. So you'll wind up preaching the same things a lot, and that won't be good. And then, of course, then you'll you will cause yourself unnecessary fights because you'll have people who will be mad at you because you know we counsel with you Wednesday and you preached on our problem Sunday. That'll cause you problems. So I can, in good conscience, if anybody ever comes to me, you preached, and that's going on in my life. I can, in good conscience. I absolutely am not a reactionary preacher. And so the vast bulk of, of my sermons 
uh, almost never. That doesn't mean that there is never a time where something needs to be addressed, but the vast majority do not. It's not healthy. And then um, in preaching to like uh, new converts or a small church or something like that, um, like we might get the same revelation on a scripture, but it, would you you would preach it differently mm-hmm. to to new converts though? <coughs> yeah. So you 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 are often preaching the blessing and the benefit of right anything you're preaching is is why should you do this <clears throat> so i can preach on money will a man rob god because you're stealing from god and you're going to burn from hell you tightwad miser you're ticking god off or i can preach because i'm going to pour out a blessing so it's in your best interest so that's often just an approach and a, and a way to uh, to do that. When you um, record stuff while you're reading, do you have like a set time every week or every day that you go back to that and follow up on those? Or? Not really, not really, because that's you, you got to understand is that you have uh, I could have time demands that are you know i i cannot schedule what will happen in my life to some degree i have set times yeah i'm going to do that but then of course i have a, a pastor i'm standing on a cliff about to jump i'm sorry i have to study <laughs> you know i can't do that so i, I mean i guess why i'm asking is lots of times I'll, I'll scribble stuff down and then i guess i just forget to go back to it sometimes or i yeah yeah so but it's always valuable to have so I have stuff that is years old. At some point, I may go back to it. I, I think w- the way to look at it, Matthew, is, is yes, you sh- there should be a, a part of it is a discipline factor that we discipline ourselves to go back. But on the other hand, the person who doesn't write things down is someone who's not responding to step one. So then you're unlikely to get any God speaking to you anything else. So step one, you need to write it down in some way or record it so that you can but I have stuff that's very old that, uh, you know, at some point I may go back to. You know, you never know. Uh, when you first became a pastor, did you uh, already had a love for the Bible, or is that something you asked to have it developed? Um, that was something that I asked God as a disciple. I, I recognized I didn't, so I began to ask God and... Um, and I, I began to hunger for that, you know. And in America, uh, graduating from high school is a—you normally get a, you know, if your parents can afford it, a decent gift. And so by that time, I was a disciple. And what did I want? I wanted study books. Back in the day, it wasn't there was nothing electronic, and so I got a decent study library as my graduation gift the tools to, to study the Bible. And I, and I did that. I got up early in the morning uh, to begin to study the Bible. I didn't know how. I wasn't very good at it, but th- I began to have a hunger. That was what I wanted. Yeah. Um, I understand you ought to read every day. And then when it comes to uh, sermonizing, I would imagine that has to do with how often you preach. But when it comes to just studying the Bible, <coughs> for the sake of studying uh, deeper into it, how frequently do you try to do that? Again, I, I can't. I can't give you a definitive because that would that would depend on 
I, ha I have weeks that I am shoveling manure from morning till night. Right? I get people who, who call me before I come to prayer. First thing in the morning, they're calling me with, with issues. So it depends on how intense those issues are. Uh, it depends on how many people I have to contact. To, to, so I, I can't give you a definitive. I have, all I can say is that I, I set aside time uh, to, uh, to study, and I set aside time to seek out the Word of God in various ways. So it, it, it just has to be done. So a lot of this is is the discipline. You have to discipline yourself. The discipline part is there are things that can't be avoided, right? You have to work a job. Or in my case, my job in some ways involves responding to needs and crises. So, uh, so I have to do that. I can't schedule that. What I can schedule is, um, you know, other other activities, right? You know, when I when I when I first when I got my first computer uh, as a kid, I was really into video games, and and some of you can't relate to. I'm not talking about Xbox. It was <laughs> video games of coins, but uh, and so so then. Uh, when I first got a computer and people were telling me on computers, well, you know, it's cool is I got all these games right on the computer. As a pastor, I said, that's dangerous for me. So the very first thing I did when I got my first 286 computer, and some of you don't even know what that is, but the first thing I did is I took off all video games. So that was a discipline for me because I knew it was going to be dangerous I was going to have to come on Wednesday night and say, folks, I don't have a sermon, but I got the high score. <laughs> so I wouldn't have time to study the Word of God. <clears throat> so discipline has to be worked out. There are things that can't be avoided. There are things that can be avoided. So, but Most of us, it's not that we don't have time. It's that we waste time. So you've got to discipline that. Yep. What kind of books uh, did you use just to study out the Bible? Well, the same things you have on uh, electronic now, but uh, you 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 need a concordance. That's how you find words, and that's how you find uh, word meanings. You need commentaries. You need dictionaries and encyclopedias, and you need word study books in the original language. So those are the four main areas. There are others, but but uh, I, I don't remember. Um, I think for my graduation gift, I got a uh, I got a Strong's Concordance. I got a, a set of of uh, Clark's commentaries, Math, uh, uh, Barnes commentaries. Uh, I got a Vines Dictionary of the Bible, and uh, you know a couple a couple of others like that. It gave me just the basic in the four main sections of books I needed. Back then they weren't cheap, right? I don't know, that was probably it was in Australia, but it it, it was at least a thousand dollars worth. It might have been a, a couple thousand dollars worth of books because they were not cheap in those days. You got to imagine one set of commentary. That's why you can it's online now, or it's in on you can get it on your computer. You can get programs are free, but you have to understand one. Uh, a, a Strong's 
in Australia, because I became a disciple in Australia, was, was probably $75 for one book. A set of commentaries was two to $400. So you're talking, you know, now it's just incredible that what you have at your fingertips, you have in your phone, you have access to information if you use it. Yeah. Are there any commentaries that are popular that you would specifically avoid? It's personal preference. I've never got anything out of Matthew Henry personally. Other guys, they love Matthew Henry, so I have no argument if it if it if it speaks to you. But again, as I have taught you repeatedly, uh, I teach guys to go to the commentary last anyway. So that's your last resort. You should exercise your brain before you go to a commentary and let a guy from 1800 tell you how to think. <laughs> is reading like the life application, the notes that they give on the bottom, is that the same as a commentary? Not, not exactly. A study Bible is different. It, it has comments. Um, you know, the two most practical in comments in study Bibles are the ones I love are life <coughs> application and Nelson study Bible. And I alternate between them. And that's a, because um, uh, they have very practical life application is to apply it to your life. So that's, that's the whole point. And that, that in reading the Bible, I often say, I'm, I'm reading the Bible and I ask the question, what does that have to do with me? How do I do that? This sermon that I'm going to preach Wednesday, how do I curse the fig tree? I don't get that. Right? So it has to, and, th- and that's what the point of the life application is to apply it to your life. So study notes are not exactly the same as commentaries. Um, they have different commentary, and if we're using general terms, should be deeper. It should have more information. Uh, it gets you know into a lot of background knowledge, depending on which commentary it is. So another quick question: Is is it? I never use commentaries when I do Bible studies. I, because I have the live application, I usually just read the footnotes if I'm confused about something. Is that okay? I mean, is that a bad thing not to really ever read them? <coughs> well, it, you know, you probably, that's probably because you have a limited, uh, you have a limited scope of what you're looking at in the Bible studies. If you had a broader scope, you're going to hopefully come across stuff you have no idea what it means. And that's very healthy. You should not... Bible study is limited. You 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 know we already know the topic of what it's all going to be about, general, and you're only going to do what five six a year, so it's pretty limited. Uh, if you're doing if you're a pastor, you're cranking out three sermons a week. You know if if you're working your butt off, you should be preaching three sermons, a Sunday school, and a Bible study in a week. That's five a week, so you're going to come across stuff you don't know. And you should, if you always preach the same stuff, it's not healthy. So sometimes I get scriptures, I say, I have not a clue what that means. And it's healthy for me to wrestle with. Uh, I preached a sermon years ago on magic milk. You shall not boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. <laughs> so there's nobody here that you would know what that is straight away. I get the boiling the goat thing. So, of course, I had to go to commentaries. What was that about? Yeah. You mentioned not reading the Bible because you have to. There's times where I read the Bible because it's just easy. I want to read it. And then there's times where I, I 
don't want to, what do you do practically for yourself if you ever come across a situation to want to read the Bible more and get a hunger for it? Yeah, yeah. So, so first of all, is is you, you the the hunger factor doesn't mean that you don't read it if you don't feel it because you often won't feel it. Sometimes it's like, man, this is great. I can't wait to read the Bible. Sometimes like, you know, I don't. I'm, I, I have to discipline or force myself. So that's first of all. So you you. Being a man is you, you know, a child has no discipline. I don't feel like eating vegetables, so I won't. Uh, uh, an adult has discipline. I don't feel like going to work, but I do. I don't feel like reading the Bible, but I will. But you can't keep on like that. So, first of all, anytime I sense in myself, I don't have an appetite, I don't want to do this, I know that I am, there's a spiritual disconnection, so I will deliberately do two things. Number one, ask. God, you have to help me. Give me a hunger. And number two, I will intently read because something supernatural happens when I do. I will spend some volumes of time. I intend on, in the next three days of the fast, I intend on reading the Bible a lot. And that's uh, preparing my soul. Do you ever read, let's say, a whole book in like a different translation, NIV or something like that, or do you just use those kind of things? To bring, bring I, I read, I read the New Testament in different translations. I am currently reading the New Testament in the Williams translation. So I'll, I will alternate. I'll, I'll read it in the New King James. I'll read it in the Williams. I'll read it in the Phillips. I'll read it in, you know, it just it's different wording. And uh, and the value of that is different things occur to me. I listen to the Word of God. I have a I have a fantastic um, uh, in the Audible app. Uh, there's a uh, Englishman uh, named David Suchet, and he's he's got a fantastic voice. This guy's voice is delightful to listen to. I really like it. I, I will listen while I. Drive. Kevin Foley says that he sometimes reads his Bible with audio and reading it at the same time. That's just a different way. And so the reason why, it, there's something about your brain, I don't know if you know this, but when you're reading, your brain is putting emphasis on certain words. You ever done that? And you know when people speak and they go, nah, 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 your brain does that. So when you're hearing somebody, when I'm listening to this David Suchet, he doesn't have a, my voice is high. I hate my voice. This guy, I mean, when he when God talks and the Lord says, like, man, if I had a voice like that, I could preach. But he emphasizes different words, and there's something in my brain. I sometimes am triggered simply because I've heard it a different way. Reading in a different translation does that. They they put the same word in a modern translation or something, so there's there's validity to that. So because sometimes, like in your Sunday schools, you'll point out that it is a different translation. Yeah. Do you need to do that in a sermon as well? Because somebody might say, "My Bible didn't say that in Acts 20." <coughs> yeah, only if it's a major point. Yeah. Only if it's a major point. You, you'll notice I do not read King James because I don't know anybody who thinks King James. So I just don't read King James at all. And so, Pastor Mitchell prefers it, and that's what he does, and I have no argument with that. So, but uh, for me, I always read 
the New King James, or in my Bible study, I choose whatever translation brings the idea across the best. And if it's radically different, I will point it out. And that would be true in a sermon as well. Is the difference um, between topical and textual? Topical is a topic. It's an idea, love, faith, prayer, etc., etc., and uh, and you just find anywhere in the Bible on that topic, scriptures. Textual is one particular passage, finding what that passage says. So I've heard that you want to make sure you're saying what God's trying to say rather than what you're trying to say. Does that play into? Yeah. So you should not. Uh, uh, you should never say, "I want to preach on faith, love, prayer." You know, money. Etc. Etc. And just find some scriptures and just say what you feel, and and God says this too. If you want whatever you want to preach on, find a scripture that deals with that, and say what it says in that passage. So that means it's that means I will say what God says rather than my opinion. That's number one. It it brings it in greater light. Number two, and it limits. As well, I can't say everything in the world. I can only say what's in the Scripture, in essence, as my main ideas. Ta- uh, textual preaching does bring in other supporting Scriptures and ideas. So it doesn't mean that I only say what's in there. But So, kind of speaking of topics, I know a lot of guys that will keep a little journal of what they <coughs> preach preached on money, preached on revelation or whatever. Do you do the same thing so that you're not being repetitive kind of in the same train of thought all the time? I I don't uh I don't literally have a uh, a journal of that kind. I of course have a record. I I know what I preached. Um I'm experienced enough to know what I have preached and what ha- and what I have not preached. So a journal or a record that tells you topically is a good idea for guys that are starting out. Yeah, I have, and that's great, great idea. I have no argument with that. But then preaching, um, you know, I got a, a question on an email. There's a new pastor in Namibia who's hungry to learn, and he's he's been sending me emails with questions about preaching, and so he's noticed on our website that I have sermon series. So he's he's wanting to know why I preach sermon series and that. So one of the things of <coughs> why I preach sermon series is because it forces my brain in ways that I wouldn't normally go, and, and it gives me a broad cross section. And so that's how I avoid, you know, a pastoral mistake is most pastors are irritated that people aren't praying enough, witnessing enough, giving enough. So it's it's commitment, commitment, money, and evangelism over and over and over and over again. So you have to in some way. So a journal is a way. Preaching series is a way. In some way, you have to know what you preach. And in some way, you have to uh, know uh, what needs to be emphasized that you haven't touched on. So I teach guys in in sermon classes, you need to map. I call this sermon mapping. You need to map your year. You can map your year by holidays, right? Is is if if on Christmas morning 
uh, Pastor Mitchell preached on the scarlet-colored beast, we'd, we'd be worried. That would be, what? <laughs> right? And so you, there are certain days that... So if you mapped your year, there are certain things you should preach around Valentine's Day, Christmas Day, Thanksgiving Day, right? So that you map those on holidays and, and events in the church. Uh, that's one way to map. I, I map according to uh, topics. People need some basic Bible doctrine. I need to. Uh, there are basic issues. People need to understand what justification is and, and uh, the principle of forgiveness and different issues. Money needs to be touched every three months as a full sermon. Um, and, and it can be touched in other ways as a sub-point or a minor point. So if you map that out, whether that is literally writing it down or mentally, then, then that's a, a good way to make sure it's, your preaching is broad. Um, we're starting a fast today, right? This, 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 the He's going to preach on today, yeah. The fast starts, yep. Um, I, I, I remember reading a lot of times what the fast is for is to humble us before God and stuff like How do we make sure that we're doing that instead of just, I'm just not eating? Well, the idea of humbling yourself, the whole, the whole reason why you would fast is you are recognizing uh, there are things that you need and cannot change in your own power. So the fact that you are, I'm not going to eat, is the humility, I can't do this without you. So that's the point of humbling. But it is deliberately focusing on God because I need you. And... Uh, so that's uh, you know that's 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 the point is is that in humbling your soul, it's a recognition of weakness and a need of God. You said that uh, sometimes a word will pop into your head, or like God impresses a word on mm-hmm. you. Do you ever go from that and develop a whole sermon out of that? Or? Yeah, that's exactly why he speaks that to me. Yeah, so it'll be a, a word in general, or it'll be a word in a scripture. I'll jot it down and I'll go back to it and and begin to dig into it, and a sermon comes out of that. Yes, that that just happened yesterday in Proverbs. In her tongue is the law of kindness, and it was interesting, you know. Uh, Keith Sullivan and a couple other guys, we 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 dug into that. Yeah. And why would there be the law? But, but that's what happened. As I was reading, that word jumped out. Yeah. End up being a very edify, edifying study. I'm like, why is it, why is it said a law? Yeah. Of kindness. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, um, the, the Bible fascinates me. You know, I I've been saved. Genesis two um, thirty eight. I've been saved for 38 years. So I've like read the Bible a lot in 38 years. But it fascinates me how there's stuff I've never seen before. How can I read it for 38 years? I've read the Bible, like I say, this sermon I'm going to preach Wednesday, I've read it for 38 years and I've never seen that aspect. He cursed the fig tree and says, if you have faith, you shall be able to. Right? I've never seen that. So that's a it's a that's a, it's a deep book. You're never going to exhaust the Word of God. That uh, series you did on Hebrew roots, uh huh. Did that come from like reading? I don't know if Pastor Mitchell reads charisma and all this stuff. 
stuff to see what the church world is going into, or or was somebody actually asking about that or getting involved? No, no, in it? just simply, uh, yeah, reading Christian publications, and I I get I subscribe to um, uh, numbers of of Christian crap, <laughs> Christian crap <laughs> sent to me, whether it's supposed to be thoughts, uh, illustrations. Devotionals and and uh, and so I, I it, it irritated me for a number of years increasingly how popular this became. So and you saw how that could affect the church, right? And you said, I need, yeah. I need to speak on it. Yeah, yeah. But then I, and then I was having people ask uh, not about Hebrew roots, but um, when Jonathan Kahn brought out his first book, his first crap book. And uh, people, have you read this? This is powerful. And I ju- all I did was read the premise. Now, that's total false doctrine. You can't, you cannot apply Isaiah, a scripture that is to Samaria, and say that's America. That's dumb. That's number one. And number two, the second thing that irritated me was, uh, it was a faulty premise. That if you rebuild anything, the point of the book was because we rebuilt the Twin Towers, we're cursed. Well, that's stupid. We rebuilt the White House in 1812. <laughs> so we've been cursed since 1812. That's just dumb logic. And that just fascinates me is how stupid American Christians are. But out of that, he is a Hebrew roots guy. So out of that, that began to irritate me, and I began to. So I, and, and when I started that, I thought it would be. I didn't think anybody would even have any interest in it. It's just mildly interesting. I'll do a few weeks on it. And then the moment I started, people were, hey, my cousin, my sister, my brother, you know, they're into that. So I said, this is a need. And I began to hear from other pastors about how they're, I began to get calls. Again, God is leading. And then I began to get calls from pastors. This is really hurting their church. People are spreading this. Pastor, we need to wear shawls and and uh, band bacon. Blow our trumpets. Yeah, no pork products. That's definitely that's from hell right there. <laughs> and Christmas Day, my wife made Brussels sprouts with pancetta. Pancetta is Italian bacon, baby. <laughs> Let's give the Lord some praise. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. On, on a minor on a minor point is. Uh, Stephen Cassio's fasting early, and and so uh, Benjamin noticed that he wasn't eating, and he's like, "Why not?" And Emily was saying, "Because he's fasting, which what, means what? And he's, that means he's not going to eat." And and Benjamin's like, "Why? Because he wants God to help and and do miracles, and he's thinking and thinking. He's like, no, tell God he needs to eat." <laughs> <laughs> Very spiritual grandson I have. So. <laughs>